0: The Start On on Demand.
1: Tuesday was a massive party in Winnipeg as thousands poured into the streets to enjoy the Grey Cup Parade and rally at the Forks. And there was one guy in particular who stole the show. Quarterback Chris Strebler will also get a debrief from the host of the rally, our very own Bob Irving. And then after the Grey Cup on Sunday, two Bomber fans made their way to the 55-yard line so they could sprinkle the ashes of a loved one. So that got us asking, where would you have your ashes spread if you could pick anywhere you want? I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's back on Friday. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, November 27th podcast for the start.
2: Winnipeg!
3: You got my back! You got my back! You got my back! You got my back! Win! 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 We did win, baby! You got the cup, baby! Let's go!
1: Winnipeg's Andrew Harris, excited beyond belief at the rally yesterday at the Forks. One of the myriad wonderful moments that came out of the parade and rally yesterday, which, Greg, you got to be a part of. First of all, welcome back to the studio. Great to be back. Missed you. Greg was in Calgary last week covering the Grey Cup, and then he was yesterday covering the parade with Global's Brittany Greenslade. And uh, it sounds like you had a blast
0: it was extraordinary yeah. week. Uh, it would take me uh, far too long to put it into words, so I'll just say thank you to 680 CJOB Global News for the opportunity not only to do what I was able to do all week and to uh, be with you guys all the technical support we had along the way, and yesterday, the parade. You wouldn't believe how quickly and all the logistics that needed to come together in a very short amount of time for us to broadcast that on television, the web, and on radio Mm -hmm. all at once. It came together very quickly. Uh, Super proud of the coverage we provided. Didn't get down to the forks, but saw it on television in studio. And all I can say is, was it worth the wait I would say for most people it was. It looked like it, yeah. The, now, police are
1: estimating some 10,000 people attended, but, uh, Greg, you're saying it looks like more. Just seeing the video of the thousands of people at the Forks. I actually tried to get down to the forks because I had to go pick up my car. My car was uh, had finally been fixed. I've been driving a Cadillac for the last few days, a Cadillac XTS. Wow. Yeah, they, they gave me a nice loaner car. You uh, should
0: have snuck into the, into the uh, compound at the dealership and poured sugar or something in your engine, <laughs> so you could have uh, driven that car a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, uh, so the, my car was finally ready, so I went and picked
1: that up after work. And I got winter tires, by the way. First time with winter tires. But uh, by the time I got home and I debated, well, it's already after 1 o'clock. Got to walk from Osborne Village to the Forks. Going to take me 20 minutes. And, well, it's, good. it's supposed to go until 3. L C. So I left at, like, I think 1.30. And uh, by the time I got to Broadway and Smith, people were already coming back the other way wearing their bomber jerseys. So I just turned around. But I watched some of the highlights. Just looks like it was an extraordinarily good time.
0: Well, there was one man who stole the show. Strabby. Our friend, Chris Strevler. and we call him our friend, Brett, because I think we were one of the first media outlets in the city to actually get an interview with him a couple of years ago before he even set foot on the field with the Blue Bombers in any sort of practice.
1: Yeah, he signed with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on May 4th, 2018, and on May 8th, 2018, the team put him up for our weekly Breakfast with the Bombers segment, and we didn't know who Chris Strevler was. None of us knew who Chris Trevler was, so... It was, I think, 4.30 in the morning, Greg and I are sitting in the CJOB newsroom and we're watching highlights and just doing some research on him and and we were both just kind of stunned. Like, this guy was fast, he would look strong, this big, muscular dude, and I remember the two of us think, like, we actually said to each other, how is this guy not in the conversation for backup? Mm -hmm. Because the initial talk was that he might be a third stringer, and... Uh, we were we thinking, no, come on, you you got to take him seriously. And then when we talked to him, we were blown away just by how nice he was. So we have very much enjoyed speaking with Chris Strebler over the last year and a half. I know he spent a lot of time talking to Hal Anderson afternoons as well. And clearly the entire city has embraced him because you could not go anywhere on social media for the last two and a half days without seeing a shirtless Chris Strebler somewhere.
0: He's uh, owning it like a boss. Let's be honest about it. And one of the highlights on Sunday evening after the game in the dressing room was being face-to-face with Chris. He had these crazy ski goggle sunglasses on, so I couldn't look him (laughs) eye-to-eye. But he uh, was already on his way to... What we've seen over the last several days, he was, uh, shall we say, a couple swigs of champagne into his celebration already. And so we'll play some of that for you a little bit later this morning. And and he told us how far in advance he picked out that outfit you saw him in yesterday.
1: Oh, and I, that's right, because I remember him saying his parade out, outfit's going to be swag. Swag. He said, yeah, well, four months. Four months, he says, he's, he's had this. Really? My God. Yes. Yeah. That we're going to play some of that for you at 7.07. And then at 7.15, we're going to play a portion of that interview that we did with Chris back on May 8th, 2018. If you go to the 680CJOB Instagram, we have linked the full interview, which is in our podcast for that day, to our Instagram story. It's about an eight-minute interview. It starts at the 26-minute mark. And, uh, yeah, you'll you'll hear from there, too. And it's, it's kind of neat to go back and listen to it. As we learned, he played a variety of positions in – college and he talked about running and he talked about he was funny to hear him say you know obviously you want to throw the ball first and protect you so you don't put your body at risk but that's not the Chris Trevler we know the guy is a tank who just bulldozes his way through everyone and then he limps off the field because he
0: can barely walk I managed to find seats at the 55 yard line in about the seventh row for the third quarter of the game on Sunday and that play where Chris Trevler got hit and he got injured and he went off the field. He was angry. He sat down on the bench. They put about five or six people around him, sort of like a cloak of invisibility. (laughs) So nobody could see what was going on. And then sure enough, about 90 seconds later, he gets up and he's, stomping, <laughs> shaking his arm. It's like, I'm ready to go, man. And he's marching up and down the sidelines, jogging, getting ready to go. And he was back in the game, I think, about four plays later. So The guy's indestructible. I also asked him the extent to which he was suffering injury. He wouldn't give me a thing.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: Anyway, that'll be part of that clip we share with you after 7 o'clock.
1: And we also will welcome Bob Irving to the show at 737. He was the host of the rally at the Forks yesterday. We'll get a debrief from Bob and just find out what this all means to him. Because 29 years of not being able to say the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are Grey Cup champions, that has to weigh on you if your job is to to call a team and root for that team and then every year come
0: up disappointed. So the fact that he got to host this rally I think is just awesome. Yeah, I'd agree with you 100%. In fact, the original plan on Sunday was for Bob to be in the dressing room on Sunday night with Christian O'Mell, and I was going to host the post-game show with Doug Brown, And then on Friday, I got this message from Bob. He says, Greg, I think you should be in the dressing room. And I said, Bob, you've got to go, man. He goes, no, I've been to 47 Great Cups. This is your first one. Really? And so we switched duties. And so I will be eternally grateful for that. But I suggest that... uh, Bob got his due yesterday by hosting that rally, and so I think it all worked out in the end for everyone involved. Yeah, well, here, I'll just
1: play this clip quickly because this made me chuckle this morning. This, I believe, was Jake Thomas. Hey,
0: we got one more guy to talk. We got Bob Irving!
1: (laughs) We do want to tell you about another Blue Bombers fan, and this is kind of a, this is a really sad story.
0: And it's heartwarming at the same time, Brett, A Winnipeg Blue Bomber fan who died of cancer a day before the Grey Cup is being remembered as a loving woman. Global's Joe Scarpelli shares this heart-wrenching story.
1: The Blue Bombers, 2019 Grey Cup champions.
0: We
4: were supposed to have a group together to watch the game together, so it was, it was hard to watch without her. Andrea Bach never missed a big game with her close friend Charlene Kraus, from Blue Bombers victories to heartbreaking losses. We had season tickets together. Um, I remember (laughs) crying together at the uh, 2011 Grey Cup, you know, when we lost. But Kraus never got to see the Bombers win the Grey Cup last Sunday. She died on Saturday after a three-year battle with colon cancer, leaving behind a husband and twin boys. (laughs) This past summer, Crow stopped treatment after doctors told her it wasn't working. The fact that she died the day before they were in the Grey Cup and that they won, was it was bittersweet for sure. It was hard. She would have been so excited. Excited to see her favorite team delivering the Grey Cup victory almost 30 years in the making. Joe Scarpelli, Global News.
0: Yesterday, when Brittany Greenslade and I were winding up our coverage of yesterday's parade from Fort and Portage, Mark Joss, a longtime bomber fan and regular listener to CJOB, approached us with his sign, which honored many who love or loved the blue bombers, but did not get to see this weekend's victory.
5: This is a for the. This
4: is what this champion or who this championship is for. Uh, former bombers have never got the chance to uh, share in a championship, uh, family and and friends and some some near and dear to me who are no longer with us or are recognized here. This is
5: this is what's for. it's huge. I I didn't think I would I would see this here. This has done so much for this city's uh, morale especially with the news
4: over the last couple of weeks there, it's, it's it's incredible. This is this is the feel-good story of the year.
0: Yeah, the sign was a long list of people who live or lived in the public eye, like former Bomber greats who never won the Cup and many who would have been overjoyed to celebrate a Blue Bomber victory. And Brett, I just got to tell you, my friend Steve, his dad, Ryan, was a huge Blue Bomber uh, fan, passed away a couple of years ago, and uh, he would have loved to have been in Calgary. He attended over 25 Grey Cups, and I approached Steve to come on the air and tell his dad's story a little bit, and I got choked up and tears streaming down my face just typing the message to ask Steve to come on the air and tell his dad's story, and we just figured that there would be no way either one of us would be able to hold it together long enough to, to get it out coherently, so just want to give out a shout to the memory of Ryan Worth, who would have just been so thrilled with the Blue Bomber victory.
1: If you weren't listening, we told you a story about a Winnipeg Blue Bombers fan who died of cancer just one day before the Grey Cup, and she is being remembered as a loving woman. And you found another story, Greg, from CFL.ca that's kind
0: of related to this. Yeah, it really is. uh, Absolutely incredible. On Saturday, they had a little bit of a media availability for Keith Urban, but there are hundreds of people around, people working getting the field prepared, et cetera. And a Chris O'Leary is senior writer with CFLPA, And well, he noticed something absolutely crazy on Sunday night because I stood on the logo on Saturday and had a little bit of a moment. And I posted a picture of it and somebody said, did you bury a toonie right at center field? <laughs> no, I did not. Yep. This is far more inspiring. The story we're going to share with you.
1: The confetti had fallen, a drought had ended, and Bruce Simpson was exhausted. The Edmontonian had worked 23 grey cups. He's worked 23 grey cups now, painting the logos that you see on the field by hand and organizing the signs around the sidelines. The tradition, he says, is when it's finally quiet and the fans have long since taken the party from the stands to the streets, his team takes a group photo at the 55-yard line. On Sunday night in Calgary, Simpson and his crew waited out a couple that was taking a selfie, then got in position on the logo that he'd started working on at 6 a.m. Saturday. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw a couple of Winnipeg Blue Bombers fans waiting their turn. Simpson has seen a lot of things in Grey Cup hosting stadiums in his years doing this job. What he saw on Sunday night in Calgary blew him away. The one gold Milt Steagle jersey stood out, he said. The two fans moved on to the lo- onto the logo, stood at the top of where the Grey Cup was painted, Simpson says he was about five or six feet away from them. One asked the other if he was recording. His phone held out. The friend said he was. I just saw him reach in his pocket. It was a tube or a vial came out, and he sprinkled it right across the gray cup on the 55-yard line, says Simpson. I was in shock that he was on the field. Security's fairly tight, but then he looked up and pointed to the sky and said, that's for you. Then he kneeled down and started to weep. Over the years, Simpson has seen fans dance on the midfield logo and play on it. He's seen players get down and kiss it. He'd never seen a fan sprinkle a loved one's ashes on it. He later found out that the duo made an impassioned plea to security to get field access. Simpson admits that he had been awake for around 40 hours by the time he saw it, and that tiredness may have played a factor, but the sincerity of the moment hit him. It wasn't long before he was crying too. I started to cry as well, thinking that maybe that logo made a difference, or that win made a difference for him. On Monday, Simpson shared his account of what he saw on Facebook. A phenomenal experience, he says. I get to see so much being behind the scenes. I see a lot of stuff hours before a game, hours after a game. There are nights before a game when I'm alone in the stadium all night long. I do get to witness a lot of stuff that a fan wouldn't see. That one was right at the top, near the top of the list. I don't know what made me post it, but I thought it was a really cool experience. It's very typical CFL, very typical Canada.
0: We heard stories all week, Brett, of individuals who were carrying in their hearts those that couldn't make it to the game on Sunday, whether it was because they couldn't physically be there either because their health restricted them from doing so financially they couldn't attend or because they weren't with us any longer. And the emotion of those stories was, it was all weak for me. And I love hearing those stories because uh, for me, that's what the CFL, that's what sport That's what this whole week has been about. The celebration yesterday is it's beyond the W. Yes, we say it's for the W, but it's for Winnipeg. It's for Manitoba. It's for our province. And there are people that feel connections over sport, beyond the sport, beyond the jersey, beyond the game played on the field. For a lot of people, it's just pride in in place and who we are and that connection you have to that family member. Memory shared, and it's a pretty powerful thing, and, and I'm glad uh, that not only uh, this was allowed to happen, but C- Chris O'Leary shared it with us, and uh, that uh, Mr. Simpson decided to uh, post it on Facebook, because that is a very purely Canadian story. There's no way that's happening, I would say, at Centre Ice, after Game 7 of a Stanley Cup final. Mm-hmm. There's no way they would have got on the ice yeah. if they weren't somebody. Certainly not happening at a Super Bowl. Yeah. There were tons of Blue Bomber fans on the field on Sunday night, which was really cool. In addition to all the Bomber families and executives, I saw Carol Barrett, longtime uh, administrator in the Blue Bomber office. I spoke with her. I said, to Carol, I said, I know you experienced 84, 88, and 90. Did you ever think you'd see another one? She said, no, Greg, I didn't think I'd ever see it. And then the tears flowed <laughs> from Ross is all... Just amazing stuff. Amazing stuff.
1: Mackling and McGarry McNabb back Friday. We just told you a story about how a couple of Winnipeg Blue Bomber fans were on the field at the Grey Cup, and they laid some ashes at midfield and kneeled and wept as they did so. And that got us wondering, where would you like to have your ashes laid if you could pick anywhere? So Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Forte. Forte, why don't we start with you?
3: I was going to say give it to Keith Richards. See what he can do with it. <laughs> what? Do you
1: like to think,
3: see if he would snort it? <laughs> well, he did his father's ashes. Did he really? He
0: says he did. Yeah, he says he oh did. Oh, my
3: God. Well, that's, that's the myth. Uh, Actually, no, mine's pretty simple. I'd probably just like to be with family, you know, be with my family, uh, with their grave sites. Uh, It's pretty boring, but that's just personally what I'd like. Or, you know, be with nature. That's not
2: boring at all. Oh, I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah, you, but you're a young guy, Fort Chase, so you don't have to think about that right now. <laughs> that, that's true. That yeah. is true. What about you, Kelly? Yeah, as soon as you started mentioning Sprinkling Ashes, you know who to my right here started staring hey, no, at no, me. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the old day, hey, you're not that far away from that. <laughs> you started warming up the video camera. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah. uh, I, I really don't know. Like, I, there, there's a few places... Um, that I've certainly thought of uh, hockey play by play was such a big, big deal in my career. Uh, and uh, there is an original arena where I started my career in, in Kamloops. It's called Memorial Arena It is, you know, the quintessential old barn. And I've often thought I would probably want them, uh, you know, uh, scattered in the press box uh, where I did a lot of great games uh, from uh Uh, Not great because of me, but great because of how they were played. uh, Because it has a lot of significance. And then the other thought I uh, spot I thought of: if I still own my house, I've got my sanctimonious place rather is uh, my lower forty down, just kind of alongside the park. If we still own that house, uh, maybe there as well,
4: Ron. Uh, I've uh, I've literally never thought of this before, so I don't have a good answer, and I, I don't think I. My my grandma said before her funeral, she's like, "Don't bother getting flowers," and we were like, "Well, why not?" She's like, "If I'm dead, I can't enjoy them, so what's the point?" So, I honestly don't care what they do with my ashes. I thought for sure
2: it'd be in no. a movie theater somewhere. Yeah no. Throw Uh, maybe the ocean.
1: I love the contrast there. (laughs) Kelly with this, you know, has selected uh, just a beautiful spot and Jeff Braun, I don't care. (laughs) And (laughs) 4J
2: wants someone to snort his ashes. (laughs) A rock star, okay? A rock star. (laughs) Not
0: just just someone, someone. Kelly. Gotcha. (laughs) A particular someone. How old do you think Keith Richards would have to be to actually be around to snort your ashes? He'd have to be like about 175 by the time that happens,
3: yeah, something like that. Yeah,
4: I feel like you guys are jinxing Forte, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, 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 I'm
0: scared. I'm scared now. What about um, you, uh, Mackling? Well, it's not in Canada, so I feel kind of bad about that. Base? Uh, no, the Wrigley Field. Oh, yeah. I just, okay. it's, it's one of the special places on the planet for me. I've, I've been there a few times, and, and once was with uh, my best friend. We had just an incredible time. Uh, the last time I was there, I was there with Scott Mortland, my buddy, and his son Gregory for a baseball game, and a couple nights before, celebrated my boy's 12th birthday seeing the Foo Fighters at Wrigley Field. But most importantly, it was the first road trip my now wife – and I took before we were married together and it just represents a lot of things. And we went to see the Montreal Expos play their last oh, wow. series at Wrigley Field and we were only going to go to one game, but we were at, uh, I think it was the Wednesday or Wednesday night game. And she looked at me and says, you know, if you want to come back tomorrow night, we could do that. And that's when the light bulb clicked. I said, I might be able to marry this one. <laughs> 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 two baseball games and two nights. <laughs> yes. So the rest was sort of history yeah. after that. So Wrigley Field has a real special place in our family. And I, once upon a time, Jackie's going to kill me for telling this story. But when I started dating her, my dog's name was Jackie. Whoa. And I actually had to change my dog's named Wrigley. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> that. How, long,
1: yes. how long did you have the dog for?
0: Oh, it was our family dog for like 13 years. What? Lived hey. out with my dad in Minidosa. And my dad said, uh, are you serious about getting a dog? He says to me once upon a time, I said, yeah. Uh, most dogs go to the country to retire. My dad yeah. thought Wrigley or Jackie at the time should come to the city and retire. And I said, yeah, probably going to have to change, Jackie. Jackie's name. <laughs> Dating a Jackie right now, Dad. And how did <laughs>
2: Wrigley take to the name
0: change? Uh, I, Pretty good. She wasn't very smart in the first <laughs> place. So.
2: As long as you, you know, you shuffled the food bowl and there was food. no it, yeah. It's tone of voice and the yeah.
0: E at the end, I think, was fine.
2: Yeah. yeah for, for me, of course,
1: my initial joke thought would be I'd like... Uh, TPC Sawgrass or some some go- golf course, but then I thought, then I actually had a similar thought to you, Forti. I thought, well, maybe just in the backyard of my parents' home. But uh, there's actually a spot in Transcona that I recently rediscovered because I grew up in Transcona and I went to elementary school at Ecole Centrale, and so I walked by the school and they've got this bench sort of right in the corner of the schoolyard, and it's essentially. Surrounded, almost like enveloped in trees and branches, and uh, it's just this very nice little serene spot. And I thought, well, if I had to pick a nice spot, that would be close to my roots nice. and close to literal roots in the form of a tree. <laughs> uh, that could that could be a spot. So it was. I, I sat. I remember sitting on the bench, thinking, "Wow, this is. Uh, I should do this more often. Sit on a park bench because it was serenity nice. now. Serenity now. Yeah,
0: <laughs> we're getting a ton." Of text messages here. Don says, My grandfather's brother was lost on the USS Arizona. That's Pearl Harbor, correct? Yes, it Kelly? is. Yeah. I'd have my ashes spread there. I like that connection to your past as well. Uh, when I go, they're going to have a party, pass around a bottle of tequila, hopefully a good one, then put my ashes into the bottle of tequila, then bring me to Mexico, spread me on the beach. You might like that one yeah, as well. Yeah, huh, as
2: I was listening to that, I was thinking that might not be, a, that's another option too. Yeah. We are so
1: proud of your Winnipeg Blue Bombers and there were so many great moments during yesterday's parade and ensuing rally at the Forks. I couldn't make it down there. I tried to get down there in time, uh, but it was too late. So I just enjoyed all of the antics on social media, but there was definitely a guy who stole the show, a guy we have been huge supporters of since he first signed with the team, Chris uh-huh, uh-huh,
3: uh-huh. Yeah! All I got to say is, man, have you guys seen the Grey Cup yet? That's pretty awesome, man. That's pretty awesome. We got the best fans in the CFL. It's not even close, man. I love you guys. We love you guys, man. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Thank you guys so much for everything this season, man. I'm lit right now, you're all lit right now. This is amazing. I love you guys, man. And we're great cup champions, baby, that's all there is. That's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. That's facts.
1: He was lit up like a Christmas tree. He was That's fun. facts, Brett. That's facts. Yeah, it was fun watching people throw beers to him during the parade, and he was just pounding them like Stone Cold Steve Austin. How he was still standing by the time he got to the stage was priceless.
0: Well, never mind. He he sent out a tweet at midnight. Did he? <laughs> Somebody said, "How are you able to?" Based on what we've seen you do today, so uh, that's pretty uh, pretty special stuff.
1: Wearing a cowboy hat, a fur coat, and no shirt underneath, his image was inescapable on social media, and he even caught the attention of KSFY in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where Streveler played for the USD. Coyotes. Traveler is becoming a Canadian celebrity following Winnipeg's Grey Cup win on Sunday, the
5: franchise's first title in 29 years. Today, there was a celebration parade in Winnipeg, shirtless in his fur coat, looking like the CFL version of Joe Namath. Streveller, who went three for three passing, which included a touchdown pass in that game, got the crowd going. Of course, they were the underdog and they beat Hamilton for that Grey Cup.
1: One of our listeners, by the way, sent us a picture from the 1990 Grey Cup parade and the late Tyrone Jones wearing what appears to be a cowboy hat and a brown fur coat as well. Gotta like that. So I, I don't know if it's just a coincidence or Could if it, if he was inspired by that parade.
0: But you he just, said he's had it planned, what, for four months? Well, Yeah. You want to hear from him? I, uh, I, of course, was in Calgary last week, and after the game, I was in the dressing room. What an experience, gathering up sound uh, to share it with you, and here's what, uh, well, Strevi had to say after the game. Strevi, how's it feel, brother? Best feeling in the world. Best feeling in the world. How many wheels broken? What can
3: you tell me? I'm not going to tell you anything, man. Nothing? You know that, man. We're on uh... a tight ship. We're all fighting through things. We're champions now. Doesn't matter. These are all brothers now for life. You know that. Man, everyone's just telling each other they love each other, man. And We really do. We really love each other. When's the last time you won a championship? Eighth grade Pee-wee football. St. Mary's, Mary's Pee-wee football. We beat the Crystal Lake Raiders. What was the score? Doesn't matter. We won. I don't even know. Congratulations. Do you, do you have any idea what's waiting for you in Winnipeg? I don't know, but I've had my parade outfit picked out for about four months now. I'm going to be looking swaggy. Congratulations.
0: Thank you, thank you. Swaggy. Swaggy. You're gonna be looking swaggy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I went into that day on Sunday determined not to ask, how do you feel? I think I asked it 23 different times. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. What, what else are you going to say when you meet somebody's eyes and you're in this moment? It's just the natural question. How does this feel?
1: Well, up next, we want you to hear... The very first interview we did with Chris Stravler, because Mackling and McGarry have been in this guy's corner right from the beginning since May eighth, twenty eighteen, and we are so happy to see how the city, how the province have embraced him.
3: So I was a quarterback for my first two years, and then I had switched over to uh, receiver. There was already a pretty established starter, and you know it had been made clear to me that I was going to remain the backup, and I just wanted to get on the field any way possible. So I was playing, you know, I was playing receiver, I was playing running back playing some tight end playing some fullback doing special team stuff so i was really just trying to get on the field any way possible
0: chris strevler sounds as though he's playing simply a football player and i think that uh that uh, holds you in good stead with a, a lot of folks including the management uh, that decided to sign you here in winnipeg you've got uh, some definite mobility chris talk about your ability and and uh, when you like to run the
3: ball yeah i mean we'll First and foremost, I mean, being a quarterback, I mean, throwing the ball is your first priority, right? I mean, you don't want to run if you don't have to, save your body. But, you know, if necessary, I'm more than willing to take off and run. I mean, had quite a few carries this past season. And, you know, at, at every level I've played, I've always incorporated running into my game. But, you know, first and foremost, I like to, I like to throw the ball when I can. Um, but there's definitely uh, some opportune times when, when running the football can be very effective as well.
1: So had you stayed in Minnesota, because you did have a bit of a crossroads there to face where you stayed in Minnesota just to, like, you could stay there and then hope for an opportunity, or you, you, you found an opportunity in South Dakota, but had you not jumped to the Coyotes, where, how do you think that all would have played out for
3: you? Um, you know, I probably, had I stayed at Minnesota, I probably would have been a receiver, um, maybe got a chance to play. Um, you know in in a reserve type of role my junior year and then my senior year maybe got a chance to start Uh, I would have been a special teams type guy Um, but I mean that probably would have been it and after my time there ended I probably wouldn't have had any opportunity to play the next level or anything like that so you know going to USD was probably one of the best decisions I ever could have made in terms of uh, in terms of my football career so you know, I, I couldn't be happier. I made the switch, but I'm also very, very thankful and grateful for the time that I did have in Minnesota. What did you know about <laughs>
1: Manitoba before you uh, were brought up here for uh, tryout?
3: You know, I didn't, I didn't know much about Manitoba or Winnipeg, but I did know that it, you know, was just north of North Dakota. So, you know, pretty much if you leave Vermillion, which is where South Dakota is, you could just take Highway 29 pretty much straight north and get there. Um, and then I also uh I went to Minnesota with Drew Waltarski, uh receiver on the team and then also uh Phil Nelson, another quarterback on the team and I spent some time in Minnesota together. So I knew that they had spent had been on the team and um, but that's pretty much the extent of my knowledge of Winnipeg and the Blue Bombers and Manitoba
1: as a whole. Chris, uh, before we let you go here, one of the things that I noticed uh, watching some uh, videos of you this morning, Greg referenced your height, 6'2", you're 220, so you're also a big guy, in particular you're a muscular guy, and with that short hair and uh, your beard, you kind of look like Chris (laughs) Hemsworth. So if football doesn't work, do do you ever think about taking up the mantle of the God of Thunder in the Avengers?
3: that's that's crazy that you're the second person in two days to say that and i've never really gotten that before so i don't know what's going on but hey you know football doesn't work out maybe i could find a career doing something else i don't know yeah that's that's hilarious
1: farmer qb Chris Strebler in conversation with Mackling and McGarry on May 8th, 2018. The first time we chatted with him and immediately we both really liked him and we predicted he would go on to do great things for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and sure enough he did and yesterday he stole the show so we are so excited for Chris and so happy to see how warmly the city of Winnipeg and province of Manitoba have embraced him with open arms. He is a warrior, he is a character, and he loves Winnipeg.
0: And I just, and a tweet I gotta read real quick. One of the best parts that the past few days, that most people won't hear about this from Jeremy Ediger was that Lucky Whitehead and Chris Treveller taking a sick young girl on a shopping spree in the Winnipeg Blue Bomber store after the parade, bought her whatever she wanted, hung with her the whole time.
1: Oh man, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Greg. of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, David Letterman! (laughs) I forgot about that. That's not true. It's Mackling and McGarry McNabb is back on Friday. How old is that clip? 1994, Brett. Wow. Wow. Should I just play this next one? Yes.
6: Well, everybody's kind of viewing this as a big joke, but, uh, I mean, after all, David Letterman is not the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I am.
1: (laughs) Oh my god, and that man was... Hey, we got one more guy to talk. We got Bob Irving! Bob Irving joins us now live on 680 CJOB after hosting the rally at the Forks yesterday, the Grey Cup rally. That was Jake Thomas introing you, Bob. How are you doing this morning, Bob?
6: Uh, Well... (laughs) I just got up, as a matter of fact, a few minutes ago, and I normally get up a lot earlier than this. Uh, I think it's all caught up with me. I don't know how GMAC got up at 4 o'clock this morning, but I guess he did. I want to know how he's doing.
0: I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for an incredible Good. week. What an experience.
6: Yeah, it was. Uh, I won't ever forget it, I don't think, and I've been doing this for a while. Uh, I've been asked a number of times to compare this to the 1990 Great Cup, and there's no comparison at all. Uh, you know, there was a 29-year drought involved in this one. In 1990, they'd won it two years earlier. And while the city was excited, it doesn't uh, match what's gone on here in the last uh, 72 hours. All the people in Calgary at the Grey Cup game and then the you know the folks at the airport to greet the team when they came home. And then yesterday, I got to the Forks about 11.30 yesterday. We thought we'd thought we better get there early because we weren't sure. And there were people just flocking to the Forks already. We could see them coming out of their cars, and it was a stream of blue and gold everywhere. That was 11.30. And then I got some video of the parade. Somebody sent me video of the parade and how packed the parade route was. And the crowd yesterday then at the rally at the Forks, I don't know, people saying upwards of 10,000. It was crazy. It was crazy. And when I tell you, when the players came up, we had a script, right? that I was supposed to do when I emceed this event and it just went out the window because when the players got to the area where the rally was, they all came up on stage and they were dancing and yelling and they had the gray cup in their arms. And, uh, anyway, that was it. I, I just, grabbed the mic Well, once I tore it away from Jermarcus Hardrick because he was talking to the crowd even before we had a chance to start the start the ceremony. We just we threw all the all the plans out the window and it was great. It really was. It was a moment that won't be forgotten, I don't think, by anybody who was there.
1: Yeah, I just I saw a video Andrew Harris posted uh some video when he was on the stage to his Instagram story, which we've added to our Instagram story. And just the, the, the sea of people crammed into the forks. Like I, I, I had a hard time picturing how many people would be able to fit in that area. And uh, beyond my imagination, the number of people who flocked to the forks for this historic event.
6: Yeah, we, uh, my thought was when I got there and saw all the people that were gathering, this thing should have been on that main stage area where, you know, you can, put a lot more people around, but, uh, I think it worked out well because it created a sort of an intimacy. If I can use that term, <laughs> bomber fans, uh, shoulder to shoulder cheering on their heroes and man, was it ever loud. And it just, uh, even when the players spoke, uh, you know, it got co- a little more quiet for a uh, short periods of time, but, uh, yeah, it was something else. So Winnipeg is quite enjoying this celebration of their championship football team.
0: Bob, I mentioned to Brett earlier, I was determined when interviewing the players not to ask them, how does this feel? And I calculated I asked it no less than 23 times, as it turned out, because that is really the overwhelming question we want the answer to. And then the yeah. comment and the question I would typically ask at the end of a conversation was, do you have any idea what what's waiting for you in Winnipeg? And the players would all light up and say, we have an idea. We know what's going to be special. I, I think we met and surpassed a lot of their expectations yesterday.
6: Far and away, and I said this before, Greg, uh, Mike O'Shea said to me on Monday night during our show when we were off air, he said, what do you think the turnout's going to be like tomorrow? And I looked at him and I said, well, I'm not sure, Mike, but I think it's going to be better than you think it's going to be. <laughs> and it was. far, And of course, the weather cooperated, which helped a little bit. But I also think, too, what we saw was the players' understanding what this means to Winnipeg and Manitoba because it's been so long. You know, they never talk about that, the 29 years. We do. The fans do. But the players never talk about that. But they knew about it. They were fully aware that this was going to be an impactful event. And did they ever see it big yesterday? I I wanted to reference an email. I got tons of emails and texts from people. A guy named Hugh, his son was born in 1984 when the Bombers ended a 22-year drought. And Hugh wanted to go to Edmonton for the game. That's where the Grey Cup game was, but he couldn't find anybody to go with. Well, after the Bombers beat Saskatchewan in this year's West Final, Hugh's son, who's now 29, living in Guelph, phoned his dad and said, Pack your bags, Dad. I'm taking you to the Grey Cup in Calgary. And Hugh said in the end of the email, I'll never forget this perfect weekend in Calgary with my son and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And I thought that email just encapsulated what this team And being around it and then watch it win a championship means to two generations of people from Winnipeg.
1: What does it mean to you, Bob? I'm curious to ask you. You have finally got to say, after 29 years, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are Grey Cup champs. I know it's not about you, but I still want to know how that felt.
6: Well, it's wonderful that, uh, you know, people who do play-by-play for teams get uh, develop an affinity. They get close to those teams. And they quietly cheer for them. It's impossible not to. There isn't a play-by-play person in North America who wouldn't tell you that. And, you know, you get to know the people who have been around the team a long time and how hard Wade Miller has worked and Brad Foddy, the equipment manager, and Al Couture, the athletic therapist, how much, many hours they put in. Brad's been there for 28 years, Brad Foddy. Uh, I've gotten to know Mike O'Shea a little bit on a personal level, level not a lot, but uh, he's one of the finest people I've ever had the pleasure of of working with in the position I am and on and on it goes. So I'm thrilled for them. I just uh, totally thrilled. And uh, yeah, I don't know what to tell you in terms of my feelings. It's fantastic. Uh, The bombers are, they're kind of my team, right? I, I broadcast their games. They're my team. And I'm, Uh, Let me put it this way, Brett. I'm happy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Lots of questions going into the off-season. Bob, we we won't get bogged out in that stuff today, but we want to talk to you before you uh, take a well-deserved rest over the winter. But I got a feeling to a player, not only the whole family concept, but we started hearing it already yesterday from Willie Jefferson. This feels like home. I've been sort of... You know, a nomad over the last several years. I'd like to settle down and make Winnipeg home. Uh, That's starting to be a conveying attitude. You've got Buck Pierce and Paul Lapolis who have in the past passed up opportunity in other locations to stay in Winnipeg. Are the Bombers going to get that lucky this year?
6: Well, I guess I channel a little Jerry Maguire here and say, show me the money. (laughs) You know, that's to some degree, that's what it'll come down to Greg, but for sure, I think there there will be a, a, a powerful draw for the players and coaches to stay here because this is a great football environment. It's a place where football matters and that matters to them. And then there is of course the economic factor that always comes into play, but, uh, I think Kyle Walters' chances of getting a lot of those people re-signed are much better now than they might have been before Sunday, that beautiful Sunday in Calgary.
1: Bob Irving, thank you very much for joining us this morning, and thanks for being the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers all these years. Uh, How many more years are you going to give us? (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. How about that? that? (laughs) All right, Bob, thanks a lot for this. We appreciate it. Go back to bed. Okay.
3: Okay, guys, bye.
1: And just a reminder as well, if you couldn't make the parade because we had a lot of people saying, wish it wasn't on a Tuesday, man. Bombers are hosting that gray cup social Friday night at RBC convention center. It goes from seven 30 until midnight. Brilliant. Brilliant. T- yeah. Yeah, for sure. Wade Miller told us yesterday morning, it's Manitoba. You got to have a gray cup social. So tickets are $20 for season ticket members, 25 bucks for general admission. Tickets can be purchased at the door or online and season ticket members have to log into their account to unlock special pricing and, And then uh, there's going to be that free Family Grey Cup event, Saturday from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the RBC Convention Centre.
0: Absolutely spectacular. Trying to please everybody and do the best they can to accommodate everyone in their schedules. Congratulations to the Blue Bombers on how they've handled this entire ride. Absolutely bang on. The number of family members that were in Calgary for the players I thought was unprecedented the way they treated everyone was first class and uh, congratulations to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers
1: Mackling and McGarry McNabb is back on Friday. We just heard the promo for this event right before we had a look at traffic. It is called Fill the Freightliner. It is happening at Boston Pizza, Keniston, 1630 Keniston Boulevard on December 7th from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. Freightliner Manitoba and Boston Pizza, along with 680 CJOB, believe that nobody should be left out in the cold at Christmas. Joining us in studio is Ken Talbot, president of Freightliner Manitoba. Ken, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Hey, how many years now for this event?
5: This is four years, and uh, continuing to grow, and we're looking forward to... uh Carrying it on for as long as we can.
0: Have not formally added the S, fill the freight liners. Oh, but it's there. We've got more than one truck. You know it. <laughs> I know it from being there the last couple of years, Ken. And people really get behind this event. It's a community event. Uh, we see little kids dragging their parents out to mm-hmm. be involved uh, and maybe a little bit of vice versa. Oh, yeah. But it's such a feel-good day for our city.
5: It is a fantastic day. We, uh, you know, from, from start to finish... The Freightliner family, my, you know, my employees, the the folks we, you know, I get to spend my time with every day. They really rally behind it. Um, I've got an unlimited volunteer list, and they're now all bringing their kids, and their kids are hauling the freight up out of the parking lots and putting it in the back of the trucks. And so
0: pretty soon, us old fellows get to relax a little <laughs> bit and and just sort of be the PR, right? <laughs> Well, you are a little bit of a celebrity on that day. People love to shake your hand and thank you for what you're doing because it is an extra ordinary effort on your part. Just uh, brag a little bit. Just talk about how much <laughs> how much has been donated over the years and and how many truckfuls of supplies oh. have been collected for Silo mission and what are the sort of things that we're looking for?
5: Well, we're looking for, obviously, this is Winnipeg. We need something warm. We need to, you know, we're, we're following the line of your knickers and kickers campaign. We need some socks. We need the underwear. We need the jackets. We need the boots. We need the winter, you know, winter gear. We got, you know, these folks have to stay warm. We need to help them out where we can. Um, we need food. Um, and number one, guys, we need cash. Because the money that, that what silo Mission can do with $1 is just spectacular. They're magicians. They change they change one into three, so every dollar that they collect, you know, turns into three dollars worth of food or 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 a gift. So um, we want to make sure that the, that the money's there. Normally, you know, I'm going to brag. We're thrilled about this. We filled two 24 foot van bodies. From and, and we're closing the door with a hockey stick. We're stuffing it in there. Wow and we're having a great time. You can't at the end of the event, you can't climb on the back rail to get a picture. I mean, you're you're we're sort of there's one guy on the lip of the tailgate. Just sort of
0: throwing stuff up as high as he can to get it in that truck. It's like that closet you used to have at your house, Brett, with all the <laughs> bags and stuff and and your junk, your junk closet. Mm. Remember, you used to mm. tell the story about that. He put something in and quickly shove oh, it, yeah, shove yeah. the door closed. Yeah, that sounds that like my closet
1: now. So. Yeah,
0: well, <laughs> but I know. Was it last year or the year before when you were cleaning out some of your stuff? You came across some gently used uh, winter items that you so kindly donated. Yeah, last past. year I brought a, I brought.
1: Uh, that's right, I forgot about that, Greg. Yeah, I filled uh, garbage. Garbage bag full of stuff. I had a jacket in there and a pair of boots that uh, I, quite frankly, had never worn, and uh, just a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, so I wanted to make sure to get down there to see you guys because it is such a great event. And how did this start? Because it started sounds like it started a bit more like only four years and it's already huge. But Uh, when it started, it sounds a bit more modest. It was um, uh, originally a friend of mine
5: years and years ago asked me if I could just bring a truck and help him haul things out of a mall when uh, they were doing a campaign to make sure that, uh, you know, Winnipeg didn't go hungry at Christmas. And so we showed up and we hauled toys and we hauled, you know, some food and, and things for them. It was, I used to do it with my pickup truck and a small trailer. Um, and then Steve Dubois and Joe Aello and I had lunch one day and we were brainstorming on what could we do that would be really, really cool for Winnipeg? What could we do that would, would help us, You know, take it to another level, take giving to uh, a a new height, you know, and and, and, and because when you do it, you open the door for other people to challenge you and say, Mm -hmm. hey, I think I can do that too. So that's what we really want to see. We want to see we're doing this and we love doing it. And my Freightliner family, we love doing this stuff and we love getting involved in community events, but we want more people to get involved in community events.
0: It can't end here, so... We got to give a shout out to our friends at Boston Pizza, Andrew Shevchuk and his group. They've yep. really stepped up on this.
5: Yeah, they do. We have a we have a lot of fun with them. Uh, it's a busy day for them. I'll tell you what. They're they're putting out a lot of pizzas and they're serving a lot of beer and serving a lot of coffee and hot chocolate to those of us in the parking lot. But uh, Mother Nature's been kind the last few years. The first year, she was a little mean at about minus twenty four. But I had two layers of Long John's on and some snowmobile pants, so it was a good day.
1: <laughs> Fill the freight liner, Manitoba is happening. December 7th. That is Saturday, December 7th from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. at Boston Pizza, Keniston. And it is all going to be supporting Silo Mission. You can help fill, not one, but sounds like two huge trucks full of donations for Silo Mission. They're looking for cash. They're looking for winter clothing. Looking for non-perishable food for Phil the Freightliner. It's the Christmas fundraiser from Freightliner, Freightliner Manitoba and Boston Pizza. Ken Talbot is president of Freightliner Manitoba joining us live in studio. Ken, thank you for this.
5: Thanks, Ken. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate your time.
0: There's a story coming out of Calgary. It's been growing since yesterday, I guess. Kelly Moore joins us in in studio now. Let's hear from Calgary Flames General Manager Brad Treliving as he talks about his head coach, Bill Peters, who is in a little bit of hot water here.
5: I was made aware of a, a tweet um, from former player Akeem Um and obviously we're playing so I haven't had a chance to sit down with Bill um, or, or our people internally um, to talk about this and, and, and get to the bottom of it I would say we take these matters very very seriously and so until such time as we have a chance to speak about it internally uh, we obviously wanted to address you people we are aware of it um, made aware of it uh, during the game here this uh, or this evening, and like I said, I haven't had a chance to talk to Bill. I will be doing that, and until such time, we won't have any further comment about it. Um, but we will get uh, we'll, we will address it and, and get back to you people once we have a chance to to speak
1: internally.
0: The news sort of has come out of, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Kelly, out of the firing of Mike Babcock in Toronto, where some news that uh, Mitch Marner was used uh, in a little bit of a unique fashion with regard to Babcock asking Marner to basically take a list of names of people who complained about him behind his back. And then Babcock purportedly turned on on Marner and shared the list of of what he had compiled and shared with the coach, with the rest of the team. Is that,
2: is that what we believe happened? Well, actually, that list, what Mike Babcock uh, asked Mitch Marner to do, uh, Greg, was to uh, list in order the hardest through least working teammates and then displayed that list to Mitch Marner's teammates while he was a rookie. You can imagine the awkward position that Mitch Marner was in uh, in a scenario like that. And so be, when that story broke in Toronto last weekend, uh, and then uh, it has uh, morphed into now where uh, Akeem Alou, who was playing for the Rockford Ice Hogs in the 2009-10 season, tweeted out on Monday night that the apple does not far, far, fall far from the tree. Uh, a YYC coach uh, once And then, of course, you know, it talked about uh, where the N-word was used. And he did not name Bill Peters specifically, but it didn't take Sherlock Holmes to figure out who he was talking about. You know, just go back and take a look. Who was coaching the Rockford Icehawks in 2009-10? Who is now a current Calgary coach? And, of course, Bill Peters was a protege of Mike Babcock. So that is where the genesis of this story started. And now to fast-forward it, uh, there and, and Frank Saravelli from TSM, we're going to give credit where credit is due, uh, he was able to corroborate uh, Akeem Alou's accounts of this uh, with several former teammates from Rockford. So, as it stands right now, Bill Peters has been removed from the bench of the Calgary Flames. He has not been fired. I know there have been some reports out there. He's not been fired. Jeff Ward, the associate coach, will uh, be behind the bench tonight and run the bench in Buffalo. But... With what Frank Saravelli has reported, and with this investigation now ongoing, not only for the Calgary Flames, but the National Hockey League as well, I don't know how Bill Peters can possibly continue on, not only as a coach of the Calgary Flames, but as a coach,
0: period. There is some discussion that the only thing separating Peters from the unemployment line and his current status is a negotiation between the Flames about how they buy out his contract or not.
2: Yeah, I, and again, I'm not, I'm not sure on any of that, Greg. So yeah, that's the but, that's the but, conversation. But, but there would have to be something along that line. How right. do we handle this? Right. Uh, in, in a way, uh, that uh, you know. It, And I don't even want to say bow out gracefully because there is no graceful exit to something like this. Brad Living has already said, uh, if those comments, if they are accurate, they are repulsive, and they are. There is no way to describe it. But, you know, I used to coach myself, uh, both uh, with a younger uh, age group in softball and then with uh, 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 older athletes, 19 to 23 years old. And since this has come out, Uh, The first thing I've I've thought of is, did I ever say or do anything to a Mm -hmm. player to make them uncomfortable in the least? And and I'm I'm guessing a lot of other coaches are are going through some self-reflection as well. And and I think that's probably what's going to be the bigger part of this story, guys, is, uh, you know, while well, we do have to change the culture of, co- of coaching, there are, you're still there to inspire, you're still there to teach, you're still there to be the leader, but it's how we go about performing that function that I think we need to, to reflect on.
0: we're doing more on this at 9.06, right, Greg? That's right. Rick Zapparin uh, Zapparin from uh, Global News in Calgary will join us to discuss this and and go a little bit deeper down this road. It's also shedding a light on hazing, how rookies are treated not only in hockey but in all sport because of the Mitch Marner situation. So it's really casting a spotlight, dare I say, on the culture
2: of hockey, Kelly. And I say it's sport, Greg. I don't think it's just hockey. I say it is sport. I mean, we just... We had what went on at the University of Michigan uh, earlier this year, which was beyond repulsive. Uh, So I think all of sport has to take a long, hard look at how things uh, are are done between coach and athlete. And where this is really difficult is is the players who have played for Bill Peters recently – they're put in an almost impossible situation. You know, the Flames players have to speak about it yesterday after practice, but this has blindsided them as well. You know, so athletes who, who look up to this guy and, and love him as a coach are all of us really? How did this happen? You're sure we're talking about the same guy? Yeah.
0: We want to start this hour, Greg, by revisiting a conversation we had at
1: 8.06.
0: Kelly Moore did an outstanding job, as he always does, of recapping a situation and setting up the discussion we're about to have with uh, Rick Zamperin. He's at 900 CHML in Hamilton, and he wrote about this uh, on globalnews.ca. And essentially, we have the head coach of the Calgary Flames is on the precipice of losing his job for something that he did about nine years ago, Rick, Kelly did a great job setting things up at eight o'clock. But for those that are just tuning in with us, can, can you do us the honor of, of telling us how we got to this point? Certainly. So as we know,
4: you know, right now, the Calgary Flames, the National Hockey League investigating uh, Flames head coach Bill Peters for uh, alleged racist comments, uh, derogatory comments toward uh, Akeem Aliou, who back in the 2009, uh, 2008 to 2010 um, um, part of his career with the Rockford Ice Hogs of the American Hockey League, where Bill Peters was the coach, Aliu alleges that um, Peters basically used the N-word a bunch of times in reference to having Aliu uh, change the type of music that they were listening to in the dressing room. So, as we know, uh, Peters has been uh, you know taken away from the team. He hasn't been fired yet, but the Flames are investigating these allegations. Apparently, there are two other players who are on that team, who are corroborating Aliu's story. Uh, And as the Flames take on the Sabres tonight in Buffalo, it's going to be associate head coach Jeff Ward behind the bench as Peters uh, stands by to learn his fate.
1: Rick, the headline on your story, on your, your blog post here, is welcome to a new era in the National Hockey League. Why is it a new era?
4: Well, I think it it could be a new era, at least we're on the cusp of what could be a new era in terms of players sharing stories of this nature it may may not necessarily be the n word or racist comments, but you know alleged abuse or or uh, feelings of wronged uh, by coaches or assistants or maybe even other uh you know former players. now, I don't anticipate there's going to be a rush of players to say, "Hey, this happened to me, no." Three years ago, or eight years ago, or when I was playing twenty years ago, um, but I do expect you know a few other stories to come about to say you know this happened to me. I felt I was wrong. Uh, you know, tisk tisk on the on the person involved, whether they're in hockey or not. What I don't expect is you know a, a lot of current NHL or even pro hockey players to come out and uh, voice their truth or talk about their you know experiences uh, that are either uh, you know very similar to ALU or or somewhat. Uh, You know, in that vein, uh, because, you know, as as we know, a pro hockey career, especially at the NHL level, is extremely short in comparison to, you know, our quote unquote normal jobs. So I don't think NHLers are going to want to risk being blackballed potentially for coming out and... Um, you know, sharing their
0: truth, as I said. Isn't that part of what the culture depends on, Rick? The idea of what goes on the road stays on the road, what happens in the dressing room stays in the dressing room. And the very idea of coming forward with something that might bother you is completely overruled by the fact that, well, you might have an NHL job for one game, one season, 10 seasons. Nobody really knows And you're going to be very protective of that paycheck. Well, a perfect example of that is the incident that triggered this whole
4: event. Um, You know, Monday we learn uh, in a story in the Toronto Star that Maple Leaf star Mitch Marner in his rookie season in 26-17 was asked by then head coach Mike Babcock to rank the players on the team at that time who were the hardest working and who were the least hardest working. And then what we have learned is that Babcock then took that list that Marner had created, that he asked him to, and presented it to those players who were at the bottom of the list. And we've come to learn that two of those players were Nazem Kadri and Tyler Bozak. Um, and Mitch Marner even you know, earlier this week was asked about that, and he, he still brushed it aside to say, listen, I didn't think much of it at the time. I was a rookie, just following instructions from the coach. And it's a great thing that my teammates didn't hold a grudge against me. Um, so that kind of set this whole, uh, you know, scenario off because Aliyu was referencing Babcock's protege in Rockford. And his protege is Bill Peter. So I think those kinds of stories might be uncovered or might be told by current or former NHL players, but I don't expect a rush of players to say, Hey, I got a story as well, because as we know, and you referenced it, the dressing room, there's an inner sanctum there. What stays there? Uh, What goes on there stays there, and uh, players don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to jeopardize their careers.
0: Daniel Carcello and uh, Mike Commodore are two players that have been very vocal about their experiences in the league, not only in the last 48 hours, uh, Rick, but they've been very vocal talking about the, the culture of hockey and the things that not only that they did themselves, but had done to them.
4: Yeah. And, and and yeah, we've heard those stories uh, over the last number of years. And, and when we continue to hear them, they're not exactly surprising because, you know, anyone who's played some kind of sports, we know that there's, you know, a leader of the pack. There's some hijinks that go in the dressing room or the locker room, depending on which sport you play. And some guys brush it off as, hey, that's just, you know, being a part of the team, but it affects other people in, in a different way. And, you know, Jason Spencer, of the Maple Leafs just the other day made a great example of, you know, his early you know, days with the Ottawa Senators in the National Hockey League. He was pushed by then head coach Brian Murray to get the most out of him. And Spencer said he loved that because he wanted to be the best player he could be. He took that to heart. He didn't, uh, you know, take it as, uh, you know, uh, being harsh criticism. It was an effort from Murray, and Spencer took it that way, that, you know, this is how we're going to make you the best you can be. That same approach can't work on another individual because everyone is different. So, you know, coaches are in a tight spot in terms of getting the most out of each individual player but doing it in a different way. Obviously, Bill Peters crossed that line and then some – Um, But the fact of the matter is, uh, you you can't paint every player with the same brush in terms of offering criticism, breaking down their game,
0: pushing them, motivating them to be the best they can be. Kelly Moore, our sports director, does our sports at 25 after the hour and so much more. Also has been a high-level softball coach in our community for a very long time. And he suggested this morning when we spoke to him at 8 o'clock, and Rick, we're just going to play a little bit of a clip here from Kelly, he suggests that this is going to have coaches at every level looking back at what they've said over the years and if they
2: crossed the line themselves. I used to coach myself, uh, both uh, with a younger uh, age group in softball and then with uh, 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 older athletes, 19 to 23 years old. And since this has come out, uh, the first thing I've I've thought of is, did I ever say or do anything to Mm -hmm. a player to make them uncomfortable in the least? And and I'm I'm guessing a lot of other coaches are are going through some self reflection as well. And and I think that's probably what's going to be the bigger part of this story, guys. Is, uh, you know, do we well, we do have to change the culture of co- of coaching. There, are, you're still there to inspire. You're still there to teach. You're still there to be the leader. But it's how we go Five. about performing that function that I think we need to to reflect on.
0: That's Kelly Moore. And uh, about an hour ago, after we did that segment with Kelly, got this text message at 823, just heard Kelly Moore's comment about questioning his own coaching style. Kelly, you were always inspiring and respectful to us, Smitty's players. Thanks for those years of great memories. So that that could be the, the larger question for a lot of folks coming out of this outside of athletes who've been down this road, Rick
4: to that new era of the NHL, I can guarantee you that every NHL head coach, every assistant or associate coach, uh, who knows, maybe every trainer or, or, or everyone associated with the organization is kind of you know doing some inner soul searching to say, hey, have I ever done anything offside, uh, either purposefully or, or accidentally? And I think that thought process is only natural because you don't, obviously, you don't want to get in trouble, but you don't want to put your team in a bad light as well. So that kind of, uh, mentality or thought process. I'm sure every coach is kind of going through their Rolodex of memories to say, Hey, has anything happened over the last, you know, three, four, five, ten, twenty 10, 20 years. Uh, but I'm sure we'll hear a few more stories uh, uh, sometime down the road. Rick
1: Zamprin. 900 CHML in Hamilton, joining us live on CJOB. Thank you very much, Rick. Much appreciated, sir. Hamilton. Anytime.
0: Wasn't there just a big football?
4: Congratulations to the Bombers.
0: There we go. Apologies, Rick. Uh, Hope you didn't take things too hard on Sunday. No, hey,
4: Winnipeg played great. We can go another hour on the Bombers' Cats, But, yeah, congrats to the Bombers. Top-notch organization. They absolutely deserve to win on Sunday.